grace and peace to you, and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now, this is a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and then find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in a series looking at the final week of Jesus' life before the cross, and it's called Seven Days. Today's message starts in Mark chapter 11 with a message called The Main Thing. So what is the main thing? Religious people might think it's all about their dogma and ritual. Materialistic people can get lost in their own stuff. Distracted people can get lost in anything. Jesus challenges all of us to evaluate what's most important. We pray you listen in. You can follow along with the notes and discussion questions for your own Bible study on the media page for this series, Seven Days, as seen at reallife.org. Let's figure out what the main thing is. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio. We're continuing our series of discussions called Seven Days, the final week of Jesus. And I was, was doing some reading, and I came across this. I thought it was just really appropriate. Uh, on December 17, 1903, Orville and Wilbur Wright made their first flight of an airplane at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. On their fifth attempt, the plane under the control of Orville embarked on a 12-second flight. And we go, well, what's the big deal about 12 seconds? Count 12 seconds out, understanding no one's ever had anything like that fly. So this was a huge deal. Well, Wilbur rushed to the local telegraph office and sent the following message. He said, we've flown for 12 seconds. We will be home for Christmas. Now, upon receiving the telegram, their sister Catherine went to the newspaper office, and she told the editor of her brother's new flying machine of their success and informed him they'd be home for Christmas if he'd like to set up an interview. Thought he'd be interested. He told her that was nice, and he'd be sure to put something in the paper regarding the boys. December 19th, local newspaper in their hometown placed the following headline on the sixth page of the paper. Right, boys, home for Christmas. <laughs> the most important story of the year, and that guy totally missed it because he wasn't paying attention. you got to pay attention, and you got to make sure you're catching the main point. Okay, I got a great illustration. I love this. I've, I think I've shared it for you, with you before, but I just love it, and it's such a great picture of missing the main point. The Bridger Wilderness Area is a beautiful part of northwest Wyoming. It's up near the Grand Tetons, and it is pristine wilderness area. It's kept that way on purpose. Now, you know wilderness areas, right? They're for hiking. If there's a water fountain, I mean, that's deluxe accommodations, okay? They are very, very rustic. The following are actual responses from comments cards given to staff members, and they collected them, and they published them. Here are some of the comment cards. This was in 1996. It says, trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. (laughs) Too many bugs and leeches and spiders and spiderwebs. Please spray the wilderness to rid the area of these pests. Spray the wilderness. (laughs) Please pave the trails. Chairlifts need to be in some places so that we can get to the wonderful views without having to hike to them. Folks, that's called a slideshow. Just go online, okay? I like this one. The coyotes made too much noise last night and kept me awake. Please eradicate these annoying animals. There's a park ranger in the making. A small deer came into my camp and stole my jar of pickles. Is there any way I can get reimbursed? Please call. And they gave their info. I'm out. I can't even believe someone wrote this. A McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. (laughs) One more. Too many rocks in the mountains. Far too many rocks. That's what we call confusing 
or confusion of objectives. If your primary objective is to avoid hills, bugs, rocks, wildlife, and hiking in general, don't go to wilderness areas. This is my tip for you this week. And of course, if your goal is to eat McDonald's, don't go to wilderness areas. And that's what we call totally missing the point. Stephen Covey said this. He said, anything less than a conscious commitment to the important is an unconscious commitment to the unimportant. It's a great reminder. Anything less than a conscious commitment to the important is an unconscious commitment to the unimportant. We talk about getting lost in unimportant things, and it's tragic. Well, I want to say when the church does it, when God's people do it, the consequences are eternal. And that's why it matters so much that we keep first things first, that we remember what is really important. Now, last week, we saw Jesus as we looked at one of the different vignettes from this last seven days. We saw him heralded and proclaimed king. And we saw him kind of pull back the curtain, reveal who he really was. Well, this week, we're going to see Jesus confront a faith that had forgotten the most important thing. had forgotten what really mattered. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 11. You can follow along. In Mark chapter 11, I'm going to begin reading at verse 25. This is what we read. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, this is where Jesus was staying. Now keep that in mind, because there's an interesting case where several different nights are represented here, and Jesus is going back and forth from Jerusalem to a very nearby area where he had friends in Bethany. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if they could find if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now, this is one of those interesting little stories, kind of a, actually a, a quirky little account that is often overshadowed by what we're about to read, a much bigger, more well-known account. But I just want to say, make note of what we just read. Make note of that little statement, because I think there's a connection. Verse 15, it says, and they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he wouldn't allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you've made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And we find they went back to Bethany. Now, this is a powerful passage. It's a very graphic passage. And it's one of those ones as we see Jesus, so we hear his teaching, we hear the Sermon on the Mount, we think of Jesus and the the humble way which God stepped into time and space. The humble way that he came as our Redeemer. This is a very striking contrast. John gives us another little detail. He says that when he did this, he made a whip of cords. He mentions that there were sheep and oxen that were there. And that he's driving them away. Now, th- what you really have to picture is a, they have created a religious market. They are selling animals for sacrifice, which was part of the, the whole religious process because of atonement. The idea of atonement was happened before Christ. It happened through sacrifice. If you read the Old Testament, you see that. And so this was happening. But they had specific animals they were selling. They were changing money because people came from all over. And so they changed currencies right there in the temple. And then they would sell people animals for sacrifice. Now, these animals had to be approved by the priests, who were also the ones doing the selling. And so the prices were a little bit higher. And if someone brought an animal 
of their own. That animal may or may not be approved, but well, we can't approve yours, but good news, we have one for sale right here. That's why Jesus called it the den of robbers. And what's fascinating is you see Jesus. Now understand something. This by this time was normal. Religious people who'd been going to the temple, been going for years, it had always been this way in their recollection. This was very normal. This is how it was done. Yeah, well, just because something's normal doesn't mean it's right. And Jesus comes in, and all of a sudden, he goes nuts. He goes medieval in the place, starts throwing over the tables. He makes this whip out of cords, and he starts driving the animals out. Can you imagine that? Now, for everyone else, this is completely normal. Everything's normal. And what's not normal is, you know, this crazy man coming in with this fire in his eyes, overturning tables, and saying, get out of my father's house. John tells us that the disciples remembered Psalm 69, 9, which says, the zeal for your house has consumed me. It's like, you think? What made Jesus go nuts like this? And I'm using that, obviously, quite loosely. Jesus is doing exactly what was appropriate. But why did he do it? Why did it have to be so violent? Why did it require this? I wonder what he saw when he came in. I mean, just imagine you're coming to the temple and you understand the purpose of the temple. The temple is to be a place. What did he say? It's to be a house of prayer. It was a place to meet God. And imagine Jesus walks in and he sees this cacophony of activity and noise. And it's just like there's animals and there's money changers. There's people bickering and bartering. And, And imagine seeing some guy off to the side trying to pray and repent and seek God's face. Jesus had been to the temple before. This wasn't like some big shock to him. It was just, it was the final week. It was the final seven days, and it was time to set some things right. And so he says, enough. And he just throws the tables over. My father's house shall be a house of prayer. And you've turned it into a religious shopping mall. Well, that made an impression, obviously on Jesus' disciples, on everybody around him, on the religious leaders who says that that moment they set out and became even more certain of their goal to destroy him. Let's pick up at verse 20, because I think it's interesting. You remember that now it says that at evening they went out of the city. That's what verse 19 said. So they went back to Bethany where they were staying. Look what it says. He goes right to this next verse. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it'll be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who's in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Now, I want you to see the connection in these two unique little stories. We, we, we often see them as disconnected. And we're not sure what to do with the whole fig tree thing. Why did Jesus get so mad at the tree? It wasn't even in season. Wasn't supposed to have figs on it. Why did Jesus have a little temper tantrum there? He's just still mad about the temple. He's cursing everything. I don't think that's the case. The common thread between these two stories, the connection is the connection of prayer. My father's house shall be a house of prayer. And then when they ask, Rabbi, look at the tree. What does he do? He, he takes them to a conversation about prayer. See, I want to suggest to you, I don't think these are two separate stories. I think they're 
two stories about one thing. I think we need to look at this and see two trees with no fruit. One's an actual tree and one is a temple. I think we need to see two trees that are out of season. I think we need to see two trees in the process of withering and dying. And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church, in this message called The Main Thing, which is available right now on the media page at reallife.org. Just look for the series called Seven Days. Where there you can even watch a video podcast of this message and series. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And Pastor Sean Azaro, now an author, invites you to check out his brand new book. 302 Books, a division of Salem Media Group, presents A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, Rediscovering the Gift of the Spirit, authored by Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Growing up in and around Pentecostal churches, I really learned to appreciate the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer, but I also saw what I considered to be imbalance and excess in some of our churches when it came to how we taught about the infilling. Now available at Amazon.com, Sean Azaro shares his most requested teaching and radio broadcast series in a devotional form, encouraging you to embrace the Spirit-filled life. I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the Scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the Spirit. Order your copy of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life by Sean Azaro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now back to the message, the main thing. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. See, the temple, the heart of the temple, it was a place to meet God. It was a place where very uniquely among God's people, the very presence of God dwelled. And the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And it represented the presence of God among his people. It was a place to meet the presence of the, the Lord, to meet God. It was a place to hear his voice and his word to be taught. The teachers would go and they would teach in the temple. You'd learn the stories of faith. You'd learn the scriptures. And third, it was a place, and maybe most importantly, to find cleansing and forgiveness. It was where people would go and they would repent and they would bring sacrifices and there would be that representative sacrifice atoning for sin so they could be made clean before the Father. But here's the problem. Just like here was a fig tree that wasn't bearing figs, here was a temple that wasn't doing any of these things. It'd become a den of robbers. It'd become a marketplace. And so God was getting ready to do a new thing. And we know that there was the temple system through the Old Testament. It was something God designed and he taught his people. He actually encoded in the DNA of his people an understanding of our sin and our need for redemption, our need for a savior. And then he himself comes in the form of Jesus Christ, his son, and he offers up his life for us. And we understand the new covenant. Well, what happens to the temple under the new covenant? Look what the scripture says. Look what the apostle Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 3, beginning at verse 16. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple? And for a Jewish rabbi, the apostle Paul, to write this, this was no small thing. You are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. The temple of the Holy Ghost. We understand that when Jesus was crucified, 
And when he said it is finished, something happened not far away from that hill, Golgotha. The veil in the temple was torn. Do you you know what that represented? That veil was not some little kind of sheer thing. It was thick. It was heavy. But it was torn. Representing the fact that from now on, sin had been atoned for. God's presence was released. We understand God's omnipresent. He was always omnipresent. But there was something in the way man could approach God that would be different. And now we could one-on-one approach him. We know that shortly after, weeks later, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And that's the context into which Paul is saying, wait a minute, now the temple? You're the temple. You are the actual dwelling place. By his spirit residing in you, you are now the temple, the dwelling place of the Most High. And there's a powerful, powerful understanding. And it's in that mindset that we have to understand Jesus going into the temple and him cleansing. I think to understand the cleansing of the temple, you must first understand Jesus' passion for prayer, because that's the common theme. You know, there's a saying, an old saying that says the main thing is to keep the main thing is the main thing. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Here's the big idea that I want us to understand. The main thing is keep the main thing is the main thing, and the main thing is prayer. We said main thing a lot, didn't we? The main thing is to keep the main thing as the main thing, and the main thing is what? Prayer. That's what Jesus is trying to get across to us. His anger, his, his dissatisfaction, his disappointment is in that this house is to be a place of prayer, and you've missed it, you've forgotten. You've let other things creep in. Maybe even at first they were well-intended. Maybe it wasn't some big scam on day one. Maybe it was something that slowly developed over time. But he says, yeah, don't ever forget. The main thing is to keep the main thing as the main thing. And the main thing is prayer. If we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, if God's Spirit dwells in us, then prayer is that place where we approach. Prayer is that place where we meet and find God. See, we have to remember what's important and keep it central. This is a challenge everywhere, isn't it? In, in business, we know this is a challenge, all right? If you have a business, one of the worst things that can happen is you forget what your main business is. You know, they teach you, they train you, in, if, if you're a leader of a business, kind of some important questions to ask is, what's your business? You know what your business? You should be able to succinctly state, what's your business? And then the second question is, how's business? If you don't get the first question right, you can't answer the second question. And in the same way, we better understand what's the most important thing. If a family forgets what the most important thing is, that family will become unhealthy and disjointed. If an organization forgets the most important thing, if a church forgets the most important thing, and there's so many different things that try to press in and compete. And what's, what's interesting, especially in the context of a church, is they're all good things. It's not bad things. They're good things. They call for our attention. They say, this is important, this is important, this is important. And it may be true, but they're not most important. The main thing is to keep the main thing as the main thing. And the main thing is prayer. I mean, I don't care where it is, at home, at work, at church, or school, there are other things competing. And there's so many other things, but this, please hear me on this, River City, this is the one thing. Heard about the one thing, right? The one thing? You think that came from the old movie City Slickers, right? It didn't. Jesus said it first. Curly from City Slickers, he plagiarized Jesus. You don't believe me? Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 38. Great story. 
This is, the, this is probably the place when it says Jesus will stand back, going back and forth between Jerusalem and Bethany. This is probably where we stay. Had some very good friends. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. It's interesting. We know there's a brother named Lazarus. There's a sister named Mary and another sister named Mary and Martha. But it's called her house. And it probably, it was. She was in charge. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who, listen, sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. She sat at his feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. I love this, this story. Okay? Mary's in there. Jesus is the guest, honored guest, friend of the family. But he's an honored guest. He's Jesus. And he's telling stories. He's sharing. He's relaxing. With and Mary is at his feet listening. And Martha's in the kitchen getting everything ready. Now, I know none of you would be bothered by that, but Martha was. And she comes out, and with this beautiful smackdown, this is a brilliant smackdown. Because with one phrase, she smacks Jesus and her sister. She calls Jesus uncaring and her sister lazy with one fell swoop. (laughs) Jesus, you don't care, and she's lazy. (laughs) And Jesus' response is telling. But the Lord answered her. Now, you, you need to understand these are good friends. And Jesus loves her. The Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. That's the one thing. The one thing. And I I can hear some of you right now, okay, You're like, okay, that story's great and all, but come on, Martha's getting a bad rap, and you're identifying with Martha right now. You're like, well, it's great that Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus and everything, but somebody's got to work, right? we got to eat. Everybody's going to get real hungry if everybody's just sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's interesting. Jesus never criticized Martha for serving. He never criticized her for serving. He never criticized her for taking care of people. In fact, one of the reasons Jesus probably came to their house is Martha's unique gift of hospitality. What he did point out, though, he says, Martha, you're anxious and troubled. You're anxious and troubled. And there's really one thing. One thing. Yeah, but Jesus, people got to eat. Martha, just bring the coal cuts out and put them on the table here. We'll pick as we, as we share. Martha, if, you, if, you, if this is something God's put in your heart to do to serve, then do it with joy. You know, Martha, we can wait. Come on in and join us, and we'll wait. We'll eat later. Or Martha, ask us. We'll all go get it and bring it in. But, but, but you're anxious and bothered by many things. She wanted it to be perfect for Jesus. She wanted everybody to be taken care of. All these different concerns, which are not bad. Jesus never criticized her for her desire to serve and feed and make things nice for everybody. What he did say is, Martha, don't be so worried and bothered and distracted and anxious. Because at the end of the day, there's one thing. And it was sitting at his feet and listening. And understand, Jesus isn't saying that we'll never go do anything else. But I will tell you, everything we do after we've sat at his feet and listened will be totally different. It'll have a new energy. It'll have a new direction. It'll have a different kind of power. Because we sat at the feet of Jesus and listened before we went off. And did all those other things. Because the main thing is to keep the main thing 
as the main thing. And folks, hear me on this. The main thing is prayer. It's prayer. See, we live in a world, and, and folks, it's gotten worse than ever, that will scream at us 24-7. And you, you know, I mean, I mean that. Maybe it's not a scream unless you're really weird and you have some weird sounds on your phone. But through this phone, a ridiculous number of people have access to us 24-7. So it was bad in Jesus' day. There are a lot of temptations, a lot of busyness, a lot of stuff that could pull on you. 50 years ago, 75 years ago, it was bad in America. Lots of busyness, lots of, a lot of things that people got involved in. It's crazy at this point how complex, how connected, how much access the whole world has to you and I. And in this complex society of ours with constant communication, endless options, A million different causes and callings, all screaming at us at the same time. What Jesus is saying is this is the one thing. I want you to hear that. This is the one thing. You want to know Jesus? You want to please Jesus? You want to become like Jesus? This is the one thing you need to know. The main thing. Just keep the main thing as the main thing. And the main thing is prayer. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message called The Main Thing or this whole series on the final seven days of Jesus' time on earth, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a note on our Contact Us page. Or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262, as Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life.